trials, persecutions, and even martyrdom should not surprise the Christian. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd come to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, cause us to be hearers of your word and doers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was fishing out west in a lake called Kairu, and the shore looked dry and crusty, but I knew they'd been draining the lake that had been part of the shore and had recently been underwater. But I stepped out onto it anyway. I should have been surprised when I stepped out and my leg sank so deep in the mud that I nearly lost my shoes. Likewise, when trouble brews for the Christian, it should not shock us as something that is unexpected. This morning, we'll see Jesus telling his disciples, and us by extension, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Go to one of your Bibles. Luke 21, beginning in verse 5. Luke 21, beginning in verse 5. And it says there, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now what they're doing here is they're walking through the temple grounds. Jesus' disciples are showing the greatness of the temple. Indeed, the second temple, this is a temple that came after the exile. It was a wonder. It was a, an amazing structure. It was a, a cathedral's cathedral. It had been established back in 516 B.C., and it stood till 70 A.D., almost 600 years. Started under Zerubbabel in the days of Ezra Nehemiah. Herod was building a massive structure that was still being built when it was destroyed. 1,600 feet long by 900 feet, nine stories high, 16 foot wide walls. One stone that they found is even 45 feet long by 19 foot. Now think about that in a time when you don't have power tools, when you don't have gas engines for lifting things. This is all done by hand. Architects were brought in from Greece, from Rome and Egypt. Mount Moriah, where Solomon's temple stood, was too small for the second temple. So Herod brought in stone and earth and built a huge platform that could hold 400,000 pilgrims. Now imagine a structure like that. And you're a Jew in the first century. You can't imagine a world where Jerusalem doesn't exist. You can't imagine a world where the temple no longer exists. It's at the very heart. It's at the very consciousness of who you are. Such a world is a world that ceases to exist. And so it's inconceivable in the Jewish mind that it would ever be brought down. Stones were discovered that were in the temple structure that said, let no foreigner enter within the parapet and the partition which surrounds the temple precincts. Anyone caught violating will be held accountable of his ensuing death. They were serious about their temple. If you came in there and you weren't fit to be in there, the priests would kill you. But what does Jesus say about this? It's all coming down. There's a day coming when there's a new temple arriving. And this thing is not going to stand forever. It's all coming down. And in 70 AD, Titus came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. If you look at the arch of Titus in Rome, you will see legionnaires in a carving carrying a giant menorah supposedly brought from the temple. 
Vespasian's Colosseum was built with stones from the temple. And a pagan temple was built in its place. Not one stone will be standing upon another. Verse 7. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? The disciples are admittedly perplexed. And so they ask a direct question of Jesus about these things. What will be the sign? The samion. The samion is a Greek word for signs and symbols. Jesus, when he performs miracles, performs samions. When Jesus speaks prophetic words, he's performing samions. What will be the samion when these things will take place as the disciples of Jesus? Verse 8. And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Now notice the context here. This is Luke's account of what we call the Olivet Discourse. We see that oftentimes in evangelicalism, we spend all of our time reading a section like this and looking at our newspapers, trying to figure out the times. But notice how Jesus sets this up. The context. Jesus does not look over the heads of his disciples into the distance, speaking in dreamy tones, as though he was talking about something that would come far in the future, long after these disciples are dead, but rather Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples about things that they themselves will experience. Now notice what he says here. There's going to be many messiahs. Many are going to come in my name saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. The first century Israel was crawling with all types of false messiahs. Josephus speaks of many of them. In fact, even the book of Acts mentions one named Theudas. In Acts 21 and verse 37, we read this. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, now this is a tribune speaking to Paul. Do you know Greek? And are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? There were all kinds of messiahs all over first century Israel, constantly stirring the people up, constantly causing them to rebel against the Roman authorities. But Jesus, what does he say about this? What does he say to his followers right then and there? You all, it's in a parable, you all do not go after them. Verse 9, and when you hear wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And I remember when I was a dispensationalist, when I first became a Christian hearing, these are things we got to look in the newspaper for. Forty years ago. These things are going to be fulfilled right in the next seven years. Watch before the year 2000. And the buoy always gets moved. But Jesus is talking about things that are going to happen in the lifetime of the disciples. Do not be surprised, he's saying to his apostles, when you hear of tumultuous disorders. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Why? Because the answer is the same for them as it is for us. When we see tumultuous activity, when we see chaotic times, we as well are not to be surprised. We as well are not to be terrified. Why? Because Jesus is in control. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
Because Jesus is reigning and ruling over the earth even now. And you are his people. And he loves you and cares for you. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So what about all these tumults? Talking about World War I? The Persian Gulf War? No. There was warfare all over the Roman Empire in the first century. Emperors were jostling with each other, trying to seize power, assassinating each other. There was great warfare between the Jews and the Gentiles. Humongous warfare. Now imagine at a time when the entire population of the world is a mere fraction of what it is today. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed. Hundreds of thousands and millions of Jews were kicked out of their land. Josephus says that in Seleucia, in Roman Syria, 50,000 Jews were massacred. It was a tumultuous time for Jews in the first century. It was a tumultuous time for citizens of the Roman Empire. There were wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms rising against kingdoms. Verse 11, back in Luke 21, there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Friends, the New Testament is filled with earthquakes from the death and resurrection of Jesus to the Corinthian jail. Famine and pestilence always accompany warfare and there was great famine and great disease after the Jewish war with Rome. It went on for over five or six years straight, grinding through Israel, causing the people to be despoiled of their goods and having their lands taken away and being starved out. Josephus writes about signs in the heavens. You might look here and go, what about signs from the heavens? But Josephus writes, there was a comet in the form of a fiery sword, which for a year together did hang over the city. Before the first revolt and war, the people being gathered together to the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 8th of April at the ninth hour of the night, there was much light about the altar and the temple as if it had been as bright as day. So these things took place. Jesus is coming again. But these events here are for the apostle to experience and for us to learn from. Going on to verse 12. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Do you hear those words, friends? Because the same words apply to us. We're in the power of the same Holy Spirit. We serve the same kingdom. We serve the same king. And the message that Jesus has for the apostles in the first century is the same for us. When trouble comes, we want to run away. When persecution comes, we want to hide out. When death comes for Christians, we want to flee. But what does Jesus say? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Don't be surprised. Kids, don't be surprised. This will all happen to you, Jesus says to the disciples. And if you look at the book of Acts, it happened just like this. Persecuted, some put to death, brought before kings and great governors to bear witness. In the early church, in the persecutions and even the martyrdoms, they were considered opportunities to evangelize before newspapers and the internet. Christians looked forward for the opportunity to be brought out into the Colosseum and to give up their lives and to cry out and preach the gospel to the nations. And so it is for you, friends. 
when trials and troubles come. And it's your moment to stand out when you're brought into the limelight. Confess Jesus as Lord and preach the gospel. The Spirit will give you the words. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Verse 14. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now notice what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, do not prepare an answer, but do not meditate upon one. Jesus is also not saying, as some Pentecostals and Charismatics do, you see them on TV, you can tell they don't know much about their Bible, and they'll say, you know what, I read this verse this morning, the Lord gave me a word, and then suddenly they start talking way off the scripture. They got a verse they start with, and by the end of the sermon, you're thinking, where did they get that from? Because if you look at the word of God, the word of God that Jesus is the author of, you go to places like Psalm 1 or Psalm 19, we're told that the godly man meditates upon the word of God. That the godly man reads God's word. That the godly man soaks God's word into his heart and his mind and its fertile soil to bring forth an increase. We need to know this, friends. Kids, you need to know the word of God. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the details when they come and question you. But friends, have your mind and your heart prepared and filled up with the word of God. So when they catch you, you bleed the gospel. The Holy Ghost will give you the answer. Parallel passage is found in Mark 13. And this was explicitly for the disciples, but I believe the principle stands for the persecuted to this day. I've said it before. You ever wondered how the martyrs stand even to this day? I've often wondered, what would happen to me? I don't want to die. I don't want to have my head cut off and be videotaped by ISIS terrorists. But the thing I always notice is people like you and I, people who are scared, at the moment of death, it seems as though the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon them and they give an answer and they stand firm to the end. So trust in God if your day ever comes. Going on to verse 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Loyalty to anything but Jesus is written into our DNA since the fall. Let me say that again. Loyalty to anything but Jesus is written into our DNA since the fall. And that's why godly men and women fill their head with the word of God. Pray and stay in the body of Christ to be strengthened with otherworldly power. Don't be surprised if your family, tribe, or nation hate you because of your properly placed loyalties. Verse 18. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But Jesus here has to be referring to the final resurrection. He just said some of you are going to be put to death. And we know from the history of the church that all the disciples except John would die as martyrs. But Jesus says, not a hair of your head will perish. Friends, we're not hoping to be freed from our bodies to become pure spirits. We're not hoping simply to go to heaven and stay there forever floating around on clouds, singing songs. But we are waiting for our bodies to be brought back to life and for spirit and body to be glorified on the last day. And not a hair of your head will perish. Not a hair of your head will perish. Though your body go down into the ground, and be eaten up by worms and turn back to dust. 
Though you die at sea and your body sinks to the very depths, not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus will bring you back on the last day. We're not trying to be freed from our bodies. That's the heresy of our age. There's no men, no women. Our physical bodies are irre irrelevant social constructs. But Jesus says the hair of our heads will not perish because those who endure in the faith will rise again in glorified spirit and body. But your job in this age is to stand firm, to stand firm to the end, to stand for Jesus, to preach the good news, to stand in the face of those who hate you and spit upon you and to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and call them to repent and come to the feast. In November 1791, the United States Army was handed its worst defeat in history. After intense frontier fighting between settlers and native tribes, an army was sent into the wilds of Ohio, then covered with gloomy forests. The army was sloppy and conducted itself as though it was not anticipating any surprises. The Indians were following their every move and watching them from concealment. On the morning of November 4, when the army stacked arms and lined up for breakfast, they had failed to send out patrols, and that's when they were taken by surprise. As hundreds of native warriors crashed into the camp, slaughtering everyone in sight. In three short hours, only 24 of the 920 U.S. soldiers escaped unharmed. Many died gruesome deaths on Indian sacrificial fires. And the watchwords that came forth from this disaster were, don't be surprised. When wicked men who hate the church attack the faith with words and legislation, don't be surprised. When friends and even relatives turn against you for what you believe, don't be surprised. When you, little anonymous Christian, are suddenly thrust into the limelight and asked to give an account for your faith, don't be surprised. But stand firm to the end, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Because as we've learned this morning from the Gospel of Luke, don't be surprised. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us in these strange and chaotic times. We pray that you would take our anxieties away. We pray that you would cause us to meditate all the more upon your word. We be in prayer. We be in fellowship with the saints. And bless us not to be surprised. We pray that you might bless some of this room. That they might be set forth into the limelight to give a good account. Be with them by the power of the Spirit and strengthen and encourage us even in this week ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.